So today is Palm Sunday. Um, it's the day that we commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem at the commencement of the Passion Week. And this day generally marked the celebration of Jesus Christ in worship as the King of Kings. Um, and I've always, I've always loved this day. As a kid growing up, it was always a time for me to come to church, and I loved it because it was this day where the church really focused in on worshiping God in reflection of what took place 2,000 years ago. It's one of the reasons why when you guys come in here, we, we hand out the palm branches, because when I was a kid growing up, we had palm branches. And we were, uh, we were part of a church, man, that was pretty Pentecostal, pretty charismatic, and so worship would start and the palm branches would get going. And I've got to say, this church has gotten better and better and better every year. So you guys did all right. I was, I was pretty proud of you. Now, I can say that I didn't have a palm branch. I don't usually wave it and that kind of thing. But I like it that you guys do. It makes me feel as though we're kind of a part of what we're celebrating. A group of people coming together and shouting out and, and worshiping and praising Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. The scene that is recorded, Jesus riding to Jerusalem on that donkey with throngs of people waving branches, laying them before him, to me is, is a powerful and triumphant sight. It is the fulfillment of the prophetic, where Zechariah declares, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a, colt, of a donkey. They declare in this, in this moment, in this time, in this scene, with the words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this becomes the inspiration for us to this day, in the church, throughout the world. This is the celebration of the worship of Jesus Christ in that triumphal entry of Jerusalem. But if you've been a part of Mercy Hill for any number of Palm Sundays, you know that I've come to understand the first Palm Sunday as less a triumphal entry than a tragic one. And I say that because I believe it is the view that Jesus Christ himself had on that first Palm Sunday. Luke 19, verses 28 through 40, record the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, with the scene culminating in verses 37 and 38 with the words, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So this is the scene that we've been talking about to this point. He's coming into Jerusalem and they're all shouting out to him as this great king. But what was it that Jesus felt? What was it that Jesus was thinking in this moment as those voices were shouting out? We hear it in verse 41. It gives us the heart with which Christ experienced the event that we're celebrating today. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, 
But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus Christ, after watching them shout him as king, after watching them worship him as king, he looks over them and he weeps. And he weeps because he understands that what they were shouting for, what they were seeking for, what they were desiring was not the peace that he brought. You see, in the heart of all of those, in the heart behind all of those shouts of praise was the desire for a military king. Was the desire for a general who was going to come in and was going to overthrow the Roman uh, tyranny, to overthrow the Roman, Roman hold on Israel. Their whole heart, their whole idea was that this was the one who was going to now come and reestablish the reign of David and we're going to drive out our enemies and we're going to crush them before us and he will be that king. You see, their understanding, their heart as they were shouting out, as they were worshiping Jesus was, there is a peace that will come when we win the war. There is a peace that will come through the battle of the sword. There is a peace that will come through this guy. And we will find what we've always wanted and we've always desired. They did not worship who Christ truly was. But they worshiped what they wanted him to be. Christ Jesus wept, realizing the worship that was offered was false worship. They did not know the peace that was offered in Jesus that day. This is a very real embodiment of the prophetic word of Isaiah about the city of Jerusalem when the Lord declares in Isaiah 29, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. They did not know the Jesus that was being presented to them on that day. This is why it's tragic. This is a tragic occurrence on that day 2,000 years ago and it threatens to be a tragic occurrence for us today. When we do not see the Jesus that is before us, when we do not worship the Jesus that is Jesus, our worship, our worship is meaningless. When we fashion for ourselves a view of Jesus that matches our desires, our worship is just as empty as on the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately, many in the world today create a Jesus of their own liking. Whether it is a tolerant, passive, hippie, just-love Jesus that puts up with their sin, or an angry, vindictive, legalistic Jesus that relishes in the destruction of the heathen, or a gimme Jesus that exists as some heavenly sugar daddy handing out health and wealth to all who find his favor, 
each of these views of him is not who Jesus is. And when you worship him in that way, you truly are not worshiping him. And what you find is tragedy in our worship. And honestly, what is, what is ironically tragic about the story that we reflect on today is that in this event, in this recording of what took place, we see beautifully who Jesus really is. This story unfolds before us the beauty of Christ, the, the Christ that we should worship, the Christ that we should be drawn to, the Christ that is true. When I read this story, the first element of this Jesus who is worthy of our worship is seen in the passage we just read. Because first and foremost, this story declares about Jesus that he is a compassionate Lord. What other truth can be drawn from the picture of Jesus Christ as he overlooks the the tragically lost worshipers in Jerusalem? When you read these words, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make peace. He stood over those who in their ignorance rejected who he was, what he came to do. And his heart wasn't gripped by anger or frustration or vindictiveness, but compassion. He wept. The English language here doesn't quite capture the depths of what is being conveyed in the original language. The Greek here means to wail, to anguish in pain and grief. I want you to understand fully the picture that we have here. Jesus, who was God incarnate, who came to this earth to reveal the truth of redemption, to, to show the world true peace, he took on the flesh of man with all of its struggles, with all of its pain. He showed the the glory of his divinity in in, in raising the dead, in in healing the broken, in in declaring the depths of the truth that he was, that, that God had for people. He stood on the precipice looking forward and realizing that this very crowd that was, that was praising him now would be calling for his crucifixion. He was going to suffer after all that he gave, after all that he invested to show them truth. They were rejecting him. And he did not stand over them in judgment. He didn't stand over them in anger. He didn't stand over them in frustration. He wept. He wept because they were broken. Christ's heart broke for those lost in the darkness of their reality. And his heart still breaks for those lost in their darkness of their reality. And I want you to understand what I mean by that. They were truly lost in darkness. The circumstances of their lives were hard. The circumstances of their lives were burdensome. It was dark where they lived. 
The, the oppression of the Romans on the Israelites was real. They suffered a great deal. They suffered under taxes. They suffered under punishment. They suffered under imprisonment. They suffered brutally. Their circumstances, their darkness was real. And Jesus' heart broke because he knew the burden they were carrying. He knew how troubled they were. He knew how difficult their lives were and how, how deeply they struggled. But he also knew that the true freedom, the true joy, the true peace wouldn't come from temporary rain. But it comes from the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the acceptance of him, the truth that he represents. He understood the darkness of their enslavement and the darkness of their minds and their hearts and their spirits and their eyes to see who he was and what he offered. And Jesus wept. We live now, as has always been true, in a world gripped by this darkness. And Jesus still weeps. Just this last week, we saw a manifestation of that darkness in the tragic shooting in Nashville. Three little children and three teachers, brothers and sisters in Christ, were killed this week in a brutal, senseless act. And Jesus wept. But you know what? He also wept because a young woman who was lost in the darkness of her reality and the darkness of her mind was gripped in the reality of her darkness, unable to find peace in her identity in Christ. And that's why she acted out. I want you to understand something about me and every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ. I am in Jesus. My identity is not established by what I feel. My value is not find, found in what others say about me because my peace is in who Jesus called me, in which Jesus created me how Jesus established me in him. And in that reality, I find a peace. Who I am in Jesus. We have a world gripped in mental pain and anguish. A world gripped by depression. Manifested in suicide in so many different dark ways. Because they do not know who they were made to be in Jesus Christ. He is the compassionate Lord. And we in the church have to worship him as such. And we in the church 
have to follow Him in that compassion. Do we weep for those who are lost in their darkness? Is our heart to see them find the true hope of peace that is found in Jesus Christ? I had the opportunity over this last couple weeks to go see a movie that some of you might have seen called Jesus Revolution. And it depicts the, the, the revival that really took place in the late 60s and 70s that, wept, that swept through this country. It was a profound event in the history of this country. Many, many, many people came to know the Lord. And what was depicted in that movie was something that made, I, I, I sat and cried through two-thirds of the movie. Because what was depicted in, that, in, the, in the scenes was a world of people looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for love. And they were looking for it in drugs, and they were looking for it in sex, and they were looking for all the, it in all the ways in which the world was offering it to them. And there was no peace to be found, and there was no hope to be found, and there was no true joy to be found, and there was no true love to be found until they found Jesus. All I want is for people to know that He will be their peace. The reason we exist, the reason why I get up here every single Sunday, the reason why this church is here is because we live in a world that is dark and it needs Jesus. He will be their peace. Not sexual conquest or people's approval or financial wealth or political power or self-medication through drugs or alcohol or sex. If only on this day they would know. If only on this day you would know from where your peace comes. Because it comes in Jesus. We exist as his church to declare that truth to the heart in turmoil. And when we have the compassion that he had, our hearts will break and we will weep and God will answer. And that brings us, I think, to the second revelation of Christ in this story. He is the compassionate Lord and he is the man of peace. When we talk about this idea that the world is dark and people are hurting, what Jesus Christ offers is true peace. This was the declaration of the prophetic word in Zechariah we read earlier. And the declaration of Christ in the act of his entry into the Jerusalem that day. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and ye shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The declaration here is definitive peace. He will break the bow. 
He will establish peace in all the nations, from the, from the rivers to the end of the earth. He brings peace. And as he entered Jerusalem that day, it was clear to all he was presenting himself as this king who would bring this peace. He chose this entry for his declaration. Every Jew would know Zechariah's messianic prophecy. That's why the crowds hailed Jesus as their king, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the the name of the Lord. Jesus, they could see in this act, is the true Davidic Messiah and king. As Jesus rode a donkey, he did this to symbolize this peace. Why didn't Jesus ride a war horse as he did in Revelation? Why didn't he just stroll into Jerusalem? In the Eastern world, leaders rode horses when they rode to war. Peasants walked. But, they, but a king would ride a donkey when he came in peace. 1 Kings one thirty three mentions Solomon riding a donkey on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel to establish himself as the king of peace. We see the same depiction in Judges 5.10, 10.4, We see it in 2 Samuel 16.2. The mention of a donkey in Zechariah 9 that we read fits the description of a king who would be righteous and having salvation gentle. Rather than riding to conquer, this king would enter in peace and bring peace. Jesus came as the man to bring us peace. This is who he was. He put on the flesh of man so that he would become the lamb of reconciliation for all mankind to show us the way to peace and to become the means of our peace. And I want you to understand when I say that, he he gave us in this act complete and total peace in all facets, in all areas of our lives. He came and made peace between God and man. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This declaration is really clear. The declaration is, Jesus Christ made peace by his sacrifice between man and God. What is fundamentally true about the gospel message is that our sin has separated us from our Heavenly Father. That God in his holiness is unable to come into reconciliation with sinful man. And that there is nothing in our brokenness that allows us to to, to close that gap. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough to be able to be be worthy of God. 
And so Jesus Christ came and put on the flesh of man as the man of peace to live our lives, to show us the way to peace, and then to give himself for us the sacrificial lamb that whoever believes on him might have eternal life, be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ became our peace, reconciling us to our Heavenly Father. We have spiritual peace with God because of the man Jesus Christ. He brings peace not only between man and God, but between men. And I want you to hear this because when we stop short of the work of Christ, the role of Christ, the power of Christ to bring peace between men, by not bringing the life of Christ, the work of Christ, the example of Christ to bear in all of our relationships, I believe Christ weeps as assuredly as he did on that first Palm Sunday. And we will suffer as a result of not bringing the peace of Jesus Christ to bear in our relationships. The man of peace can bring peace between husband and wife. The man of peace can bring peace between father and son. The man of peace can bring peace between mother and daughter. The man of peace can bring peace between brothers and sisters, both biological and spiritual. The man of peace can bring peace between neighbors and nations, regardless of race or region. When we give ourselves fully to the truth of Christ, he is our peace. In fact, I want you to hear the power of peace that comes between men when we all choose to embody the man of peace that we see set as an example before us. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is being declared here is that that which separates us is tore down when each one of us steps into the identity of Jesus Christ and lives out the peace that is Jesus Christ. That lives out His mercy, lives out His grace, lives out His love, lives out His truth and His sacrifice. It allows reconciliation between brothers and sisters. It allows reconciliation between man and man. It allows reconciliation to take place because Jesus Christ showed us the way. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky-ism. The love and mercy and grace and sacrifice and hope and peace and joy and security that is found in Christ provides us the ability to follow Christ in our relationships with others. And finally, 
He completes his work of peace in that he gives peace to our inner man. The work of Christ is meant to bring peace to our troubled hearts, peace to our troubled minds, and peace to our troubled spirits. If there's anything that this world needs right now, if there's anything that this nation needs right now, our culture, our society needs, it's the need to find peace in ourselves. The, the rate of suicide, the rate of depression, the, the, the rate of brokenness in mind and spirit in our culture and our society is profound. And I will give you this as my declaration of what I believe is truth. It is because people have turned their backs on the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and they are in turmoil. He gives peace to the inner man. I know you've heard these words before, but I want you to hear them again. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The declaration here is that he will guard your hearts and minds. When you give it to him, when you turn to him, he will guard your hearts and minds in what? In Christ Jesus. Does it surprise you that the passage that speaks of a peace that passes all understanding centers on the man of peace? That in giving, giving, in, in giving ourselves fully to him, we can find fullness of peace in all circumstances, in all situations? In fact, what's amazing to me is the very last thing that Jesus Christ says to the disciples essentially before he ascends before he faces his death, is he says, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Comforter. And why is he sending us the Holy Spirit and the Comforter? He says, this peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The heart of Jesus Christ is for his people to find peace in him. And it gets manifested in us and in our lives by the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is where our hurting, struggling world misses him so deeply. His spirit, his comfort, his hope. The totality of peace the world seeks is found in him. He is the man of peace. He is truly the prince of peace and the king of kings. And finally, this is the last revelation in this story we can find about Jesus Christ that gives us a complete understanding of who it is we truly are here to worship today. You need to understand that not only is he the man of peace, but he is the king eternal. Understand the declaration made in Zechariah is not some temporal kingdom 
for a certain age on this earth. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a colt. I will cut off the chariot for Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall seek peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The declaration Zechariah makes here is literally that the weapons of war are destroyed because they are no longer needed. The bow is broken, the chariot is, is destroyed because peace is now forever. This is an eternal reign requiring from us our fidelity, requiring from us our submission. What is being declared here is he is sovereign Lord and King. Do you know what, what is required of subjects of the King? Submission. Throughout my ministry, I've always, we've always prayed for people and we pray for people to be saved and we, we, we pray for people and we say, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? For many times, people pray that prayer and they really emphasize the idea of Savior, but they lose sight of the fact of Him as Lord. When you receive salvation in Jesus Christ, that, that is you saying, I now serve the sovereign King. All of my life, all of my things, all of my ideas, all of my wants, all of my desires, all of my future, all of my dreams are submitted to the sovereign king. There is no way for the peace that we talked about to rule in your life until you've submitted all that you are to that king. They're not separated from one another. It is taking your life and laying it before him. And when you do, he is able to send his spirit in a way that then brings you comfort, gives you hope, shows you peace and life and joy that this world can never give you. But it requires you acknowledging him as that king eternal. Let me give you our instruction from the word of God in light of his reign that is found in 1 Timothy 3. Paul writes and says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he says. He says, I charge you before Jesus Christ to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm asking you to live in accordance with the commitment you've made in Christ, that your life would be in alignment with the truth, the confession you've made about him until he appears which he will show of himself at the proper time. He who is the, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable life, whom no one who's ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. This is 
our Lord. This is our sovereign king. Every corner of our lives is submitted to him. Because Jesus on that first day was declaring, was revealing that he is the eternal king of peace. And so he calls us to submit to him. We live far too often as the masters of our own kingdom. That our wants, our desires rule our lives. He is king sovereign for everyone who claims to follow him. You cannot worship him in truth if you've not established him as your sovereign. This is Jesus, the compassionate Lord, man of peace, and the king eternal. This is who was presented 2,000 years ago on that first Palm Sunday. And this is who's presented to you today. Will you worship him? Will you worship him? Not simply with our words, not even with the waving of a palm, but with our hearts. To know who he is and not have worship on our lips and our hearts be far from him, but given fully to this Jesus, to this Jesus.